Gospels, and I hope you do. Go ahead and grab them at this point in time, and uh, turn with me to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, we will be in John chapter 13, at least for starters. And then if you want to put your finger in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2. So John 13 and Revelation chapter 2 are the two texts that we will be in this morning, starting in John chapter 13. Hope you all had a good uh, Christmas and uh, New Year. Uh, Something that uh, I feel the Lord has been putting on my heart as we begin a new year is a, a, a short, fairly brief sermon series entitled New Year new love. New year, new love. Examining what the New Testament has to say about love in the church, about the call for us to love one another as Christian brothers and sisters. So we'll be talking about a new year and having a new love in that new year. John 13, uh, I trust that you're there. Today we'll be looking at part one of the series, Jesus on love. Jesus on love. What does Jesus have to say about the importance of of us as Christians loving one another. I trust you're there. Let's pray, and we'll dive right in. Father, it's a privilege for us to come together, uh, to sit and to share sweet fellowship and conversations, uh, to share of our tithes and offerings, to give back a portion of what you've entrusted to us, and to sing songs of worship, to sing songs of praise, anticipating the return of your son Jesus. And we echo what Paul says in 1 Corinthians and what we sung with our lips, uh, even so, come Lord Jesus. We ask that you would hasten your coming, and we anticipate it. And may we truly, uh, like a Like a bride waiting for her groom, may we be pure and chaste and eager, anticipating Jesus, your return. But until then, you've left us with with much to do and much, um, much to think about. And in particular, Jesus, we turn to your words in John 13. We turn to that which was utmost in your mind and uh, one of your highest priorities as you turned to give your faithful 11, those whom would... Uh, be the foundation of, uh, of the church. Just what, how important it is that they humbly follow your example and love one another. So teach us how to love, we pray, in the name of Jesus and God's people said. Amen. Well, I want to share a quick story uh, written uh, by a man named Dwight L. Moody. You probably have heard of Moody. Uh, he founded a church and, of course, the Moody Bible Institute up in Chicago. In uh, one of his books, uh, simply entitled uh, Anecdotes, uh, he tells this story of an experience uh, that he had while he was pastoring uh, Moody Church. So I'll, I'll read uh, his excerpt. He says this, uh, Many years ago, many years ago, a shabbily dressed boy trudged through several miles of the snowy Chicago streets, determined to attend a Bible class that I was conducting at Moody Bible Church. He writes, when he arrived, he was asked uh, by many in the class, why did you come to Sunday school at a church so far away? Because they knew that his church was, uh, uh, his home was, was some distance from there. Why did, you, why did you come to this Sunday school? Why didn't you go to one of the churches near your home, Moody writes. And then he writes that the young man uh, simply answered him in these words, because you guys love a fellow over here. You guys love a fellow over here. And then Moody uh, adds to the story. He says, show me a church where there is love. Show me a church where there is love, and I will show you a church 
that is a power in its community. Friends, I wonder if the same could be said of us here at Grace Bible Church, that we love a fellow over here. Today we begin a New Year's series entitled New Year, New Love, and we're going to explore what the New Testament has to say about the significance of love within the church body. And when I began to do some preparation beforehand to get this sermon series ready, I discovered what I anticipated discovering, and that is this, that love amongst Christians, that love in the body of Christ is a major, can't miss, unmistakable, hit you in the face emphasis in the New Testament. You can't read scarcely a book in the, New, in the New Testament without coming across some explicit commands and instructions about the importance that we love one another. Um, so I did some counting. There are roughly, according to my calculations, 72 sections, 72 sections of Scripture in the New Testament alone that speak to the subject of love among the brothers. Not 72 verses, 72 sections of Scripture that speak of the significance that I love you and that you love me. In fact, there are only five books in the entire New Testament that are without any explicit reference to love among Christians. So let's begin our look at love in the New Testament where the New Testament begins to talk about it, which is in the Gospel of John chapter 13 as we explore the teaching of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus on love. First of all, what we're going to see is is, uh, Jesus give a command. And we're going to see that command introduced in chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. Then we'll see the command reiterated later in John 15. And finally, we will see the command applied as we turn to the book of Revelation. So let's begin where the New Testament begins. John 13, verses 34 through, through 35, as we see the commandment introduced. So here's the setting, right? Judas has just left Jesus to betray him. Jesus is in the upper room. It's the night of his arrest. And he is now alone with those faithful 11. He reiterates to them earlier, just a few verses before verse 34, that he is going to leave them, that he is going away. And where he is going to go, they cannot follow which certainly had to be of great concern to them. And after informing them of this, he begins his upper room discourse, which I think, uh, with, with one of the things that I think is probably top uh, of, of, of mind, right? It's most important to him. It's, it's on the precipice of his mind. He says this in verse 34. You can read it with me uh, in your Bible or on the screen. Verse 34, he says this, A new command I give you. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. I cannot stress the context of these words enough. Jesus has a precious few hours left with his disciples before he is going to be betrayed and arrested. The cross and death itself is imminent. Time is of the essence. Words are precious and they are well chosen. What did his disciples need to hear? What did these 11 men who had 
formed the foundation of the church. What did they need to hear in preparation for his departure? On what was the church to stand? On what were they to stand upon with him gone? What was to be foundational to this new community that they were going to be starting? Well, friends, the answer to that question is very simple. One word, four letters, L-O-V-E, love. Love is the answer to those questions. He gave them a new command. Verse 34, a new command I give you. Love one another. Now, this is not a new commandment in some sense for them because they were Jews and they followed the Old Testament and they knew their Bible. They knew that Leviticus 19.18 already taught them to love their neighbor as, their, as themselves. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. So it's not new in some sense of the word, but in another sense it was. The command to love one another was not new chronologically. That is, they had heard the commandment before, right? It wasn't new chronologically. Jesus explains that it's a new commandment in its quality. In its quality. Because what does Jesus say? Love one another. And then what does he say? As I have loved you. As I have loved you, disciples. As I have loved you, Christians. So then you must love one another. You see, in Leviticus, right? In Leviticus, we are to love our neighbor as we naturally love ourselves. That's the quality of love that Leviticus teaches. But Jesus goes above and beyond that, right? Here, Jesus says that we are to love our fellow Christians as Jesus has loved us, right? As we have been loved by Jesus, so we are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, which makes the sacrificial life and the sacrificial death of Jesus both our example of love and our standard of love. So Jesus has given them this new commandment that's not really new, but it's new in its quality, right? Love one another just as I have loved you. And then he adds this in verse 35. What follows is what would happen? What would be the effect? What would be the result, right? If the 11 disciples and if you and I love one another, what would happen? What would be the result? Take a look at verse 35 with me. By this, Jesus says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if, if you love one another. I'm sure you've heard this verse before, but I want you to stop and ponder and ask yourself, why is this true? Why is this statement true? Why will people know that we are disciples or followers of Christ if we as a church love one another. Why is that true? Well, I think the simple answer is this, because we look like Jesus when we love like Jesus, right? We look like Jesus when we love like Jesus. I'm sure you've noticed this maybe within your family or maybe within other people's family. Uh, Families tend to have mannerisms, right? They have laughs. They have smiles. They have little idiosyncrasies or quirks or phrases or sayings, right? And generally, you can tell a family uh, is that a person is a part of a family because, oh, I, I know that laugh, right? 
he laughs like his dad. Or I know that phrase, his mom or her mom says that phrase, right? They, we have laughs or smiles or, or way we speech that kind of show that we are a part of a family, right? And that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that we are, that people will know that we are a part of his family when we love like him, right? People will look and say, that looks like Jesus, the guy I read about in the Gospels. It's interesting because there's evidence historically that has shown that the Christian community as a whole has done this well at times and then has done this poorly at times. And I just want to give you a little historical perspective. So there's a man by the name of Tertullian. He lived long ago at the end of the third century, right, when Christianity was, was fairly uh, new, so to speak. And he wrote these words. He spoke of how the heathens, those who weren't Christians, commended the Christian community for the way that they loved one another. He wrote that the, that the heathen said this, See, they say, see, they say, how they love one another, how they are even ready to die for one another. So apparently at the end of the third century, the church was doing this well. But just 100 years later, just 100 years later, another man by the name of Chrysostom wrote these words. He says, even now, even now, there is nothing else, nothing else that caused the heathen to stumble except there is no love. He writes, they are hindered by our mode of life. So isn't it fascinating that from one generation to the other, the Christian community can do this well and the Christian community can do this poorly. And so here's the question for us today at Grace Bible Church in the 21st century. I wonder what history will write about us. I wonder what history will write about this century's Christian community and our love for one another. Well, it doesn't take Jesus long. He's introduced this most significant of theme. Disciples, followers of mine, love one another. And it doesn't take long for him to repeat it and reiterate it. So if you have your Bibles, turn just a few pages over to John 15. John 15. Because there in John 15, verses 12, 13, and 17, Jesus reiterates this command that he had just gave his disciples and us. So later, it's the same conversation. It's the same setting. It's the same night. Jesus speaks again of the importance that we love one another. Take a look at verse 12. He says, My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. And then he adds verse 13. Greater, greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life for one's friends. And then skipping ahead to verse 17, he reiterates this. This is my command. This is my command. <clears throat> Love each other. Love each other. What these verses add to our conversation is not only what becomes a threefold repetition of Jesus' command to love one another, showing us that Jesus really cares about this, right? Showing its supreme importance. But it also adds an explanation of what Jesus meant when he said back in chapter 13, love each other as I have loved you, right? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. In chapter 15, love each other as I have loved you. And so it begs the question, how has Jesus loved them, right? He's set himself as the standard of love for us. 
So how does he love us? Jesus says that love for a brother or sister in Christ reaches its zenith when one person chooses to lay down their life for the other. He points to the cross, right? He points to his sacrificial death for them and for me and for you, for all of us, paying the penalty of our sins and then in power and in glory being resurrected from the dead to offer us forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God and eternal life through faith and faith alone. He says, this is what love looks like. He says, I'm going to show you in a matter of hours what love looks like. That's how I have loved you. And so you too must love one another sacrificially, even to the point, even to the point, even to the point of death, so that the heathen can say, see how they love one another, how they are ready even to what? To die for one another. You know, this fall, this past fall, um, my family and I and a few of our neighbors uh, were uh, outside doing an outside movie. It's something I, I like to do. We have a nice kind of big uh, place uh, on the outside of our garage wall, and we use a projector and we watch movies outside. It's nice, and we eat popcorn and have lots of fun. And we watched, uh, of course, a kid's movie. Uh, maybe you've heard of it. It's called Big Hero 6. Ever heard of it? Ever watched it? Big Hero 6. It's a cartoon. It's a kid's movie. It's pretty good. I actually enjoyed it. Uh, I won't spoil the, well... I might spoil it a little bit if you watch this film, but sorry. Uh, just to set up the movie. The movie is about a young boy. The movie is about a young boy, and uh, he uses his late brother's robot, or personal healthcare companion robot, to defeat a villain and to save a woman trapped in a black hole. Did you get all that? If not, that's okay. You'll, you'll understand when you see it. In the final scene, I was reminded, as we were watching this movie back in the fall, I was reminded of Jesus' words when he says this, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one another, for one's friends. Because even in Hollywood, they understand that sacrifice is the language of love, right? And so let's watch this uh, short film and then begin to apply what we've learned today. Thrusters are inoperable. Just grab hold. <sighs> there is still a way I can get you both to safety. I cannot deactivate until you say you are satisfied with your care. No, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. What about you? You are my patient. B-B-B-Max, your no. health is my only concern. Stop! No, I'm, I'm gonna figure are out... Are you satisfied with your care? No. There's gotta be another way. I'm not gonna leave you here. I'll think of something. There is no time. Are you satisfied with your care? Please. No. I can't lose you two. Hero. I will always be with you.
I'm satisfied with my care. watching the scene again I was reminded greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends and so Jesus says this is what love looks like and so our love should be marked by sacrifice selflessness and servitude so at the outset of our series we have seen Jesus's command to love one another we've seen him reiterate that command twice and so we need to begin to ask ourselves some questions Questions like this. How are we doing individually and as a church? How are we doing at loving one another? First, individually. Are you loving your fellow Christian in such a way that your unbelieving friends or family members or neighbors or co-workers know that you follow a loving Savior? Are they attracted to your Christ or are they repelled by him because of how you treat the people who regularly walk through those doors in the back. More from a corporate standpoint, are people who are unchurched here in Cisna and the the surrounding communities, are they attracted to our church because of how we treat one another, or are they hindered? Do they hear about how we are generous and engaged and servant-hearted and warm and kind? Or do they hear about how we stay in our own friendship bubble, simply talking to the people that we are most comfortable with? with. And if we think, in answer to that question, that we are doing okay, that yes, I, I love my brother and I love my Christian sister, then we need to ask a second question. A second question. Is our love marked by sacrifice? Is my love for you marked by sacrifice? Is it a sacrificial love? What exactly, what specifically have you sacrificed for their good lately? What have you given up in order to serve one of their needs? Have you given of your time lately for them? Have you given up a a ball game or a family function to be and spend time with one of them? Have you given of your emotional energy helping them through a crisis? Have you given maybe even of your money or your attention? And if we can't think of any details of our love for the people in this room, then we may be only fooling ourselves into thinking that we're loving each other, right? Our brothers and sisters here at Grace. Because the kind of love that Jesus talks about is a sacrificial, costly, selfless kind of love. And so what we've seen is the command. And we've seen it reiterated, right? But one final question remains. How seriously does Jesus take his command to the original Christians and to you and me to love one another. 
Like, how serious is he about it? Does he really mean what he says, that we are to love one another? Or is it just kind of trivial to him? Well, let's close our time by turning to Revelation chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, turn from John to the very end of your New Testament, the book of Revelation. There, Revelation 2, at the very beginning, we see two churches. Actually, we see seven churches. Jesus writes to seven churches. We're going to look at two of them in brief. Jesus is going to command one of these churches for their love for one another. And Jesus is going to condemn the other church for their lack of love for one another. And we should ask, which are we more like? Right? That's why Jesus gave us this revelation. So let's begin with the command applied in Revelation 2, 18 and 19. Because there, in 2, 18 and 19, Jesus commends the church in the city of Thyatira. He commends the church there in the city of Thyatira for their love. So he begins like he does the other seven letters with this church with a revelation of himself to the church in verse 18 followed by his commendation of the church. Here's what you're doing right, church, verse 19. So let's take a look at 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write. Most likely the angel is the the pastor or the leader of that church. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Verse 19 is where I would like for us to focus our attention. He says this, I know your deeds. What deeds? What, what deeds does he know about? Well, he's going to tell us. I know your deeds, and then he, he lists them. Your love, number one, and faith, number two. Your service, number three, and your perseverance, number four. And that you are now doing more than you did at first. Don't miss that last line. It's important. So, what does Jesus commend this church Four. Well, he commends them for four things. And what is the very first thing that he commends them for? Did you notice? It's our four-letter word, right? Love. He commends them for their love. And I take it to mean that he commends them for their love of one another. And notice, not only for their love, but for their faith, service, and perseverance. But what, had, what does he say about these four characteristics of the life of this church? Does he say that They started off loving really good, and now they are not doing very well at all. Has their love increased, or has it decreased? What does he say? He says, and now you are doing more than what you did at first. And so this is a picture of a church that first and foremost, and I think that's why love is first on the list, because they were doing it the best. They were loving each other well. And not only that, but if their love was this big at first, what was it doing? It was growing, right? As the years went by, and as they met over and over and over again, they loved each other more than at first. And so he commends them. This church was much like the church in Thessalonica, which Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 1-3, when he says this, the love, of all you, the, love all, the love all of you have for one another is increasing. That's exactly what was happening in this church. The love that they had for one another was growing. This is what every local church wants Jesus to say about them, right? Don't we want Jesus to say that about us? Shake your head, yes. Yes, we want Jesus to say this about 
us and that we're doing so increasingly. So here's the point. Jesus sees every local church and he knows if we are taking his command in John 13 and in John 15 seriously. He knows if we're doing that and if we aren't. And if we are, he commends us for us, right? We want to hear the words of Jesus. I know your deeds, your love, that you are now doing more than you did at first. We want this. And so Jesus commends a church when it's lovely, when it's loving. But not only that, here's the flip side. In Revelation 2.4, we see that Jesus condemns a church that is not. When it fails to love one another. And so in Revelation 2, chapter 4, excuse me, Revelation 2, verse 4, we see Jesus speak of a church in the city of Ephesus. In the city of Ephesus, as normal, Jesus gives a revelation of his character in verse 1. He commends them for all sorts of things in verses 2 and 3. He commends them for being hard workers. He commends them for hating sin. He commends them for hating and fighting heresy. He commends them for enduring in the face of opposition from the outside world. So at the very beginning, you read this letter and you're like, this church is doing really good, right? He commends them for four things. They work hard for him. They hate sin within the body. They hate heresy, right? They love truth. And when people persecute them from the outside, they just, they endure. They keep going, right? This is a commendable church, And yet, in verse 4, Jesus has one criticism. And it's a big one. It is of supreme significance. Notice verse 4. Yet, yet I hold this against you. What is that? You have forsaken the love you had at first. Some translations might say your first Love. I actually like the NIV better. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You could summarize Jesus' criticism with the words of the Righteous Brothers hit song, You have lost that love and feeling, right? That's what Jesus, supposed to be a joke, that's what Jesus was saying, right? He says, You've lost that love and feeling, church, but what did they, to, who, who did they lose love for? I think oftentimes people think that this refers to their love for Jesus. There's lots of reasons why I don't think that's true. I think Jesus refers to their love for one another. And I don't have time to give you all the reasons, but I think there's a very good case that Jesus is not talking about their love or passion for him. No, no, no. He's talking about their love in the body. Notice, he says that, yet I have, I hold this against you. You have forsaken, the the NIV, you have forsaken your first love. It's a word that means to neglect to be neglectful, or to leave something in its place. That is, to not give it the attention, to not give it the focus that it rightly deserves. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that you have let your love for one another uh, just kind of sit on the table and collect dust. You have been neglectful in your relationship with one another. You haven't tended to it like it needs tending to You have slowly drifted away from your original expressions of love for one another. This church, I think, what happened was the church was so busy fighting heresy from within and persecution from without that they had neglected one another and they had slowly drifted away. 
a story is told of a, of a, a husband and wife in their later years, and they were driving home from church in his pickup truck. Uh, and as they drive home, the wife was sitting far, far away by the, by the window. And of course, the husband was driving. And she kind of uh, looked at him with some sad eyes and said, Honey, do you remember when we first met? Well, yes. Do you remember how close we used to sit to one another? I used to sit right here, right next to you in, in the car. You used to put your arm around me. What, honey, what happened to those days? With one hand firmly attached to the wheel, the other rested on the empty seat between them. And the husband simply replied, Well, honey, I haven't moved. I think that's what Jesus is saying to this church. He's saying, listen, um, you have been neglectful, right? You have slowly moved away. So what should they do? And what should we do as Christians and as a church if we find ourselves in The shoes of the church at Ephesus. Three things. Number one, notice verse five. Consider how far you have fallen. Some translations say, remember where you have fallen from. Repent and do the things you did at first. Three things, they all begin with the letter R. First of all, he says, remember. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. This is what he says. He says, bring to mind how good it was to love and to be loved at church. How good it was for people to notice if you had been missing a few weeks and to call or to write or to send you an email or a text. Remember how good it was when the church took care of one one another. The laughter, the openness, the open arms. Remember the good old days in a sense is what he's saying. And not just for memory's sake, but he says then repent. Number two, not only should they remember what it was like, but they should repent from their lack of love. They should do something about it. If they recognize there's a deficiency in their love and in ours, then we should do something about it, which is number three. He says return and do the works you did at first. Here Jesus calls them and us to decide intentionally to treat our brothers and sisters with love to do things that demonstrate that we want their best. And in a sense, to let our actions lead our emotions. Notice, notice, in no unclear terms, Jesus tells the church what will happen if they don't do these three things. Notice, notice what he says. If you do not repent, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. In the letters of Revelation, the lampstand is an image of the church. And so what is Jesus saying? He's saying that I will end you. He's saying I will take you away as a church. You will cease to exist if you don't love one another. He also likely implies that the church had failed to be a light in the world by failing to love one another. Because what does a lampstand do? It gives light, Right? And the light that the church is supposed to give is their love for one another. So, Warren Wiersbe is, uh, is right. He says, The church that loses its love will soon lose its light. The church that loses its love for one another will soon lose its light. Friends, I don't know about you, but I don't want to lose the light of Grace Bible Church, right? We don't want that. We don't even want to come close to that, right? And so what we have this morning is a command. Love one another. This is Jesus' teaching on love. He reiterates it, right? He 
gives us himself as the example of what that looks like. And then he says, this is what will happen. If you do, you will be commended. And if you don't, your lampstand will be removed. And so friends, as I look at the streets of uh, Cisna Park and our surrounding neighborhoods, metaphorically, you could say that there are shabbily dressed boys all over our neighborhood, right? Shabbily dressed boys in our neighborhood, just like in Moody's neighborhood. There are also well-dressed professionals, white-collar workers, stay-at-home moms, single parents, widows, elderly couples, young families with small kids, and there are people of all walks of life in between in our little community. And I want them to all be attracted to Grace Bible Church because we, we love a fellow over here, right? Because we love a fellow over here. Moody is right. Show me a church, show me a church where there is love, and I will show you a church that is a power in their community. May God give us grace to be that kind of church. Let's pray. Father, convict our hearts because we all fail in this area and encourage us because your grace is sufficient for our failure. Lord, you have taught us in the most simplest of terms that which should be of the utmost importance in this little church body, that we love each other that we love each other as you have loved us. And if we do, and if we do, then all men will know that we are your disciples if we love one another. Father, give us grace upon grace to recognize if we are more like the church at Ephesus than the church at Thyatira. And help us, we pray. Help us to know that when we turn and love our brothers and sisters, that you will say to us, I know your deeds, I know your love, and that you are doing more than you did at the first. May our love increase in that way, we pray. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. See you next week.